On October 14, 1912, Teddy Roosevelt, who had already served two terms as president, was on the campaign trail in Milwaukee running for a third term before they had passed the, uh, the uh, term limits. And he was actually running as a third-party candidate. And uh, if you know anything about Teddy Roosevelt, you know that he actually had decided that he wasn't going to run again after serving two terms, realized later after the campaign already started he'd made a big mistake and he tried to get back in the race, but he had to do it as a third-party candidate, which is, you know, really, you're really behind the eight ball. But he was giving about 15 to 20 speeches a day. And as evening fell on this day on October 14th, 1912, he wasn't feeling well. His throat was scratchy. He was very tired. And he just planned to make a a quick stop. Waiting for him outside a hotel in Milwaukee was a man by the name of John Schrank. He was a saloon keeper from New York. Uh, Mr. Schrank had been getting these dreams in which he was informed by an assassinated president, McKinley, in his dreams that Schrank was to kill Roosevelt. Schrank weasels his way to the front of the crowd and he takes his 38 caliber pistol and as Roosevelt is waving to the crowd, Schrank aims for his head, somebody had bumped him right when he pulled the trigger, and instead he shot Teddy Roosevelt in the chest. Now, the bullet hit in a large number of papers that were under his overcoat, so it deflected the bullet slightly, but as Roosevelt put his hand in his overcoat, it was filled with blood. Of course, his posse around him were wanting to get him to the hospital. And this is the amazing part of the story. The bullet had missed vital organs, fortunately, but Roosevelt refused to go to the hospital. (laughs) He, He said to the crowd, these are the words that were recorded, friends, I shall ask you to be as quiet as possible. I don't know whether you fully understand that I have been shot. But it takes more than that to kill a bull moose. And though his shirt was soaked in blood, Roosevelt continued for an hour and finished his speech. Afterward, he was taken to the hospital and was there eight days to recover. What is it that would be in the heart of a man that would cause him to be so singularly driven that he takes a bullet and that is not going to stop him. I think of that as we think of the church. I think of that as we think of we got half a year left in 2015 and we think about our priorities and what drives us. I'm of the opinion that there is no office on earth that precedes the importance of the church. I think the church is the loftiest calling that any human being can be given. Now, I realize, and probably even some right here in this audience, that there are some that are disillusioned, that there are some who might even be complacent, that there are some who are cynical about 
the church. And for some folks, making a serious sacrifice, taking a bullet, are you kidding me? I mean, that's not even on the radar. In fact, if you look at how busy life is, I mean, the church has to compete with all this other busyness. And, you know, if if you even are on the list as a church, great. But to be near top of the list, good luck with that. A few weeks ago, I officiated a wedding uh, for a couple here. The wedding wasn't here at the church, but it was for a couple from our church. And uh, I was observing people from our church who were serving, who had done a lot to make this wedding happen, and noticed uh, some folks that were working behind the scenes and making food and, and doing dishes after the wedding and were there for hours after the wedding cleaning up. And they were doing the kind of work that, you know, when you get home, you just crash, all right? That kind of busyness. And, uh, and then my thought races to a staff member we have that donated her salary so that we could make these other two positions that we just hired at church happen without raising our budget. And as I think of those things, and I think of those two scenarios, my heart just bursts forth. I'm, I feel like almost like a general who looks across the battlefield and you see soldiers in your army that are just giving it all you know, to make, make it happen. And it's not because I have anything to do with it, but just because I feel this great sense of, 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 of pride. Is there a godly pride? If there is, I, I have it. That, that there are people that I get to serve with that would be willing to take a bullet for the team. Reflect on that for a minute. And then think about this, that I think every church has a certain personality. Every church has a characteristic, just like people have characteristics. I think churches have characteristics and, and you know, a, a personality. There are some people you like to be with, uh, some churches you like to be with, some people you don't like to be with, and some churches where you, you just don't feel safe, all right? And, and th- there's a culture in every church that typifies how it relates to, you know, its, uh, its people or the community and, and even to God. Now, in the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, there is a series of letters that were written to seven different churches. And in each letter, God had something to say to these churches. Each church had a particular personality or character. And the application, I think, for us today is, uh, is very, um, uh, very current. For instance, think of this. Uh, the church at Ephesus says it was waning in its love for others and for God. And, and uh, God was calling them back to their first love to kind of rekindle that love. Something we could all relate to. There was a church at Thyatira that was way too lenient on people who set themselves up as spiritual teachers, spiritual leaders, in fact, they were fake. He says, hey, you know, you guys really need to watch out for this. And then it says this, tell me if this is not current enough. They were also, talking about the church, far too lenient about sexual immorality. Uh, Then there was a church of Philadelphia that was very loving. They had a reputation for how they had endured in difficult circumstances, all right? 
There was a church at Laodicea that was very prideful. They were good at spiritual posturing. In other words, they posed like, you know, they were in great shape. But in fact, they were very arrogant and they were not aware, self-aware, that they're unhealthy. Now, in these two chapters of Revelation, there was a common refrain. This is what it was. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. It's a way of saying, be sure that you're listening intently to what God is saying to you. Be sure you understand what God is saying to you. In fact, one church was said to have fixed their eyes and, and, and the letter said to, that they needed to wear some salve on their eyes so that they could see clearly. Because apparently they didn't have a right perspective. They did not see themselves clearly. It's hard, isn't it, sometimes to know the truth about ourselves? All right? It's hard to look at that, isn't it? I mean... If I get on the scale and I'm five foot two and I weigh 375 and I say, hey, I'm cooking. All right, this is great. You probably need a little adjustment. You, 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 you know, you've got some work to do. You're not healthy. And here's, here are these churches thinking they're healthy. They're great. And it wasn't the case at all. They were in denial. Not only is that true for an individual, but it's true for churches. And so we read this, listen to this, in Revelation 2.23, in the midst of all this context. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart. And I will give to each of you as your works deserve. I'm the one who searches mind and heart. I can see reality. This is, this is great for us to know that there is a fixed point in which we know reality and it's God. He will always tell us the truth. He will always be the plumb line in which we will know where we're at. And so his word is critical to understanding reality. Throw God out, throw the word of God out, and then you've got the mess the culture is experiencing with no compass. And just everyone does what's right in their own hearts. But the church is to understand that it's God who knows the heart and the mind. And he will tell us the reality. You know, we can promote ourselves as a church. We can market ourselves as a church. We could have a slick ad campaign and tell everybody what a great church we are, this and that. But that means nothing as far as who we truly are. That is something that God will deal with accordingly. Now, that verse in Revelation talked about the mind and heart. The mind deals with our thinking. So what we think about ourselves, what we think about others, what we think about God, that matters. And then the heart deals, the heart then deals with our motives. Mind thinking, heart with our motives, our aspirations, our goals. It's, I think, a way for God to say, hey, listen, look under the hood. 
These are the things that I want you to be concerned about as a church. What's on the inside? There is great value that God puts on our ability and willingness to listen to what he's saying to us. That's our roadmap, his word. That's to be primary in our thinking. And secondly, defining reality, all right, as far as the true state of our hearts, our actions, our attitudes, that was important to these churches. Now, by the way, to know reality, you will not check out the Facebook ad or our web page or a commercial or even what others think about. Not that those things are bad, don't get me wrong, but listen. <laughs> Facebook is a managed image of ourselves. One thing you'll never find on my Facebook page is my driver's license photo or me in swim trunks, okay? That will immediately get all of my friends to defriend me, all right, if they see those things. We, we manage our image. We put up what we want people to see, right? But with this, God is saying, okay, you need to face reality. What is the church truly like? What is really going on in the heart, on the inside? How do we think of ourselves? I was talking with somebody involved with the NAACP here in Springfield recently. And they were saying how they need to change how the black community thinks of itself. And to change the narrative. And I thought it was a very perceptive comment. And I started thinking about that. Of what are the stories that we tell about ourselves? Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever noticed your self-talk? I mean, my, Janet gets on me for this. That my self-talk is so negative. That we are our worst critic. Are we not? We are usually harder on ourselves than we are anybody else. And, and this has a profound influence on how we behave and, and, and how, we, how we operate. What are the stories that we tell about ourselves, that we repeat in our culture as a church that make up our identity? What do, what do we think about that? What are the victories that we celebrate? The victories that we celebrate help us to pinpoint the things that we really value. I mean, is it always just, you know, look at the new building. Look at how many people showed up. Wow. Yay. All right. The stories that we tell, the things that we celebrate, those indicate what we value. Now, when you typically think of a church failing or succeeding, what do you normally think of? You think of how many people go, what kind of buildings they have. Money, those are the things that people normally think of. You know what's interesting about Revelation 2 and 3? You don't see any of that. <laughs> Paul never says, now listen, Thyatira, you need to double your attendance by A.D. 76. All right, get to it. Instead, they're to ponder deeply the things that are going on in the heart. Those are the things that forge our, our actions, our direction. 
How do we as a church, how, how do we think of ourselves? What's the narrative we're writing? What, what, is it, what are the things that we value the most? What is it God is really saying to us? Those were the things that seemed to be woven in these seven letters of Revelation 2 and 3. What are some takeaways from this? First is we have to know with confidence what God wants for us as a church at CCC. Whenever you talk like this, you know, what God wants for us, usually there are words that come out of a pastor's mouth like vision or mission, all right? These are words that are so overused, I think they've almost lost their meaning when guys begin to talk this way. And frankly, I think a lot of churchgoers are so cynical about church, and I can't say that I blame them too much, but whenever a spiritual leader gets up and says, vision, all right, it doesn't matter what comes out of his mouth after that, how it's interpreted is, this guy's going to try to sell me something that I have to fund. That's how it's interpreted. Add to that the modern mindset that eschews any kind of corporate mentality in the church. And again, I get this. The job of the church leader seems almost impossible in those mindsets. Now, frankly, I'd be prone to buy into that cynicism and to that sentiment. And frankly, I used to. But one thing keeps me from that. And that is this, God still speaks to his church. God still speaks to his church. There it is. God has a heart for his people being transformed, and the church is his vehicle for doing it. Now, every church has specific programs that either do this well or they don't. And our job is not to compete with this church or that church or try to be like this church or that church, but to understand what God is saying to CCC, what God wants for CCC, and to sprint to the finish line to see that get done. Now, that floats my boat. That gets the juices going. I was telling somebody the other day, and I mean this as sincerely as I know how to say it, okay? Here I am, I stand before you as in my late 50s, and I am as excited and as passionate now about the church as I've ever been in my life. Because I believe that this still holds true, that God speaks. And then, you know, you, you look at the postmodern and, and progressive uh, Christian, they call themselves Christian movements, that question that, that anyone who, you know, can hear from God and say that they have confidence in, 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 in God's word, Man, these people are to be viewed as charlatans. I mean, that's, that's the idea that's given. And frankly, let them prattle on all they want. But let us keep focused on what God has given us to do, to be a Christ-dependent community equipping others to impact the world. That's how, that's how we have said it for us. A Christ-dependent community. That means who we are, how we operate, and then what we do, equipping others to do what? To impact the world to see transformed lives. I love the work of the church. I love this church. And not, not because of a specific program or, or, or the buildings, but because in every endeavor, it's fueled by the love of God and the love of others to see that thing happen, equipping others to impact the world. 
God will change lives, and he is using you to do it. Marriages that get healed, men who quit being passive and take responsibility for their lives, for their families, people who understand the gospel for the first time come to believe Christ. Man, these are the things that we're to celebrate. These are the fruit of God's work. I love seeing how, how people serve. I love the fact that, yeah, we're going and involving the, uh, getting involved in the community and going to the Ronald McDonald House, uh, one sole purpose, putting shoes on kids' feet. I love that, that we're involved in, with racial unity here at, uh, in Springfield. I love the campus ministries, every small group that meets throughout the weeks, okay? These are fueled by the idea we have confidence that God has spoken to us. He has put us on mission to accomplish something. Frankly, I don't get all hot and bothered if the attendance, you know, spikes or goes down or giving goes up or down. Listen, are we operating as if Jesus is the hope of the world? Or are we operating so that the squeaky wheel of, you know, some past church culture drives every decision? Are we operating as if the Holy Spirit is infusing us to do what we do? Or are we operating just to prop this machinery up with bodies, bucks, and buildings? Is that what it's about? Are we blinded by some political agenda and see the, you know, evangelical church is just the arm of the Republican Party? God help us. Because this country does not need more Republicans. It needs Jesus Christ. We can't be blinded by things that get in the way of our, what we're about as a church. I'm not dogging any one of those things in particular as far as people being involved. But I'm saying as a church, what is our job? And it's not allegiance to a political party. We don't prop up some denominational ideal of church. We don't see how many people we can get under our tent politically. We're not here to try to make others feel comfortable. In fact, listen, if you're feeling comfortable every Sunday, I'm not doing my job. If there is truth-telling all the time... And we're always comfortable. You know what that means? We're perfect. We don't need any of it. The truth will always confront us in areas in which we need help. I open up the word of God. I try to do it every day. And there are always things I'm saying, oh, man, that just hurt. All right. Could have been a little softer there. But there are always things that I can apply. Every program, every endeavor fueled by the conviction that God is speaking to the real need of every human heart and that that is met by Jesus Christ. Everything else is window dressing. So what does that mean for us? It means that you, me, we're responsible to position our hearts alongside what God values the most. You have a job to do. I have a job to do. It's not to sit on our butts. It is to align our hearts with what God wants for us as a church and as a people. And as I read Revelation 2 and 3 and see how most every church had an issue 
They did, didn't they? Almost every church, except Philadelphia, had an issue that God had addressed. You know what that tells me? That there's probably a season in which every one of us, including myself and this church, there's probably a season in which every one of us get in the way and hinder what God wants to do. All right? You look through the course of our lives, there's probably a season that all of us have experienced. All of us have the responsibility to align our heart alongside what God values the most. Every church is made up of individuals who can fail to adequately address their own hearts or who are all in. Pride, arrogance, bullheadedness, agendas. This is what leads to complacency, to people not willing to give or serve or whatever it is. You know what? You can beat people all day long about how you know, they need to do this or need to do that. In fact, many pastors make a living at this. And frankly, I think some people, a lot of people who grow up in certain churches, they come expecting to get beat up at church. I mean, it's like beat the sheep and then pet the sheep for a little bit, and then you're going to get what you want. You're able to manipulate people. But listen, the issue here is the heart. Not in trying to get people to do something. The issue is the heart. And once folks take responsibility for aligning their heart with what God wants, the rest will take care of itself. It's all going to flow out of the heart. I can tell a person, you know, love your spouse, communicate, do this and that. But if they've got crap in their heart, bitterness, unforgiveness that they have not dealt with, all those words about what they need to go out and date, you know, once a week. None of that is going to matter if their heart is not aligned. The heart has to be made right first. The actions will follow. And all the external work can be just a cover-up for what's going on in the heart. Listen, I am not a carnival barker and you are not my customers. You are worshipers of the Most High God. And He is the one who searches the mind and the heart. And He will give to each one as their work deserves. If that doesn't motivate you, you're dead. And I mean that literally, spiritually dead. Because I got nothing else for you. But that right there, if we align our hearts with what God values the most, Katie bar the door. I mean, imagine if everybody took responsibility for their own hearts. I am accountable to God for my level of sacrifice. You're accountable to God for your level of sacrifice. Do you understand that? It's not based on, you know, I'm not, I'm not the standard, okay? Uh, the, the, the standard for, for Mickey will be different than the standard for Mark, will be different than the standard for Don, will be different than the standard for Rebecca. It's going to be different for everybody. You see, it's based on the, the grace that you've been given, the gifts that you've been given, and am I stewarding that? to the way that God is moving in my heart. That's the standard. It's, it's really about our relationship. You know, when our, when our kids were growing up and they copped 
an attitude or mouthed off. Um, I could easily, Janet and I could have easily have, have met that with an equal amount of bravado or threats. But what we tried to do, and hopefully more times than not, is to kind of break down what was really going on in the heart. So I'd sit them down and I would you know, usually say something like this. So, okay, I just want to make sure I understand you correctly. Now, you slammed this door behind you, all right, with us sitting here in the living room. It appears to me that you were telling us to get lost. I just want to make sure I understand that you intend to communicate zero respect for your mother and I. If that is the message that you want to communicate, I have a specific response to that attitude that I guarantee you, you will not like. Would you like to continue in this vein? Now, what usually that did is that that elicited a conversation about what was going on in the heart. They were either angry about something, maybe they felt offended by us, but we could deal with the heart that was creating the door slamming or the issue. You see, what was happening was something on the inside. And that's never separated from the relationship. How they responded to our authority, how they communicated to us was simply a reflection of what was going on in their heart and our relationship. And listen, it's the same for every one of us and our Heavenly Father. It's the same. As you look at your service to Christ... As you look at your giving, as you look at your passion, what does it say about your relationship with God? Only you can answer that. Here's the thing. When I read this passage about he knows our heart and our mind, and he's going to give as each work deserves, you know what I see in that? I see a God who's eager to reward us. You might see that as a threat. I see it as a God who wants to just richly bless his children. I see your motives. It may have not turned out. You know what? That program may have failed. You know what? There may have been nobody that showed up and you poured your heart out. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to bless you. Because your heart was right. Because you were motivated by love. That's what I see in those words. A God who richly wants to bless and to reward. You know, there are some folks who are willing to take a bullet for unsavory causes. I recognize that. But listen, the Christian, the Christian has an eternity filled with reasons as to why we can sacrifice. Much different than any other cause. And our success as a church, listen to me, our success as a church is not measured by a number. It is not measured by a P&L statement, but by hearts who sacrifice according to the grace and the gifts that were given to them. Each and every one of you will be rated on the same system that we will as a church, the heart. What I can implore each of us to do as we have a half a year left in 2015, look at our hearts. Be honest with reality. And then, you know what? If need be, 
Look at how many times the word repent is used in, in chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation. It's used a lot. Repent of this, repent of that. You know what it means? Change your actions. Change your attitude. Change the perspective, your thinking. And align yourself with what God values the most. Why? Because he richly wants to reward us. Let's pray.